Micah Worthington to our platform. Put your hands together this morning and welcome our evangelist this morning. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is such a great honor to be with the Christ Center Church and I don't just say the Wyatt family, but my Wyatt family. They are, they are my family. I love them all. love them all dearly. Just a precious, precious group. It's a privilege to be here on your Youth Sunday. First Youth Sunday. It's great to see that little debate. Because you don't know how to help somebody if you don't know where they stand. If you don't know what their questions are, you can't give them an answer. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't stand it when somebody tries to answer me and they ain't even heard my question yet. <laughs> to the young people, don't let your mistakes make you feel that you're a mistake. Samson was called and ordained and prophesied over before he was born. He was set aside. He was given a vow that's very hard to live up to. He was never to cut his hair, touch any dead thing. Or drink strong wine or drink. All of those things he would do. But even when he would touch a dead carcass. He would slay a thousand Philistines with the jawbone that he would pick up. He would find honey. He would fall in love with women from a strange land. And find himself in drunken states of anger. But the Lord would avenge him. And in even allowing his hair to be cut upon his head and losing his strength, God would allow him one chance to redeem himself. Don't let your mistakes cast you out as a total mistake. If you give God a chance, he will show himself strong and great, even through the most tragic of travesties in your life. First Kings chapter 18. As the young people begin to talk about where they stand and where the church could be, I I just had these thoughts going through my mind. And one message that I thought that I was here to preach, it just kind of goes in another direction, but staying within the same context. So I I promise you, I'm just going to preach what the Lord has given me to preach to you today. Is that all right? First Kings chapter 18. And I want to look at one verse of Scripture. And he said to his servant, this is Elijah, he said, go up now and look toward the sea. And so he went up and looked and he said, there is nothing. Everybody say there is nothing. And so he said, go again. Seven times. There is nothing. Today, with the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you for the next few moments, preach, minister, whatever God would allow to happen in this service. A cloudless sky. But a chance of rain. A cloudless sky. But a chance of rain. Why don't we close our eyes and lift up our hearts and our voices to the Lord one more time. Lord, we love you. 
We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. We thank you for your spirit, for your kindness. We thank you for what we feel in this house, Lord. We ask that a strong manifestation of your presence will begin to move in upon us, Lord. God, we're asking you to do what we cannot. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. God, where our human efforts are in vain, oh God, let your spirit begin to take control. Forgive us of our sin. Heal our hearts. Touch our minds and our life. Break shackles from our hands and from our thinking, Lord God. God, we're asking you to deliver us and save us. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. Baptize us once again. We're asking for you to be God. For we are yours, Lord Jesus. And we trust in you. We trust in your word. We trust in the leading and the guiding of your spirit. We're asking, oh God. For you are the only one that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all that we could ask or think. We're asking in the name of Jesus. We're asking in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, we pray. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can be seated. I'm going to get me a drink of water. I'm not nervous. Actually, I am. (laughs) I appreciate the fact that I get nervous when I'm put in a position to speak. Makes me realize that I don't I'm not been sitting here to take things lightly. And there is a lot that has been placed upon my shoulder, especially when you're presenting yourself before a body that have. Saints of all generations, young and then old, der. See, what we have is a a problem in Scripture where a task has been put upon a young man, not an elder, not a saint, not an experienced believer or follower, to be the first to go up And look to see that which is expected. But when he goes up to look into the distance, he comes back with a very sad response. I see nothing. The gap that is between generations can be very scary. Especially with one having hope of a promise. And one looking out and they do not see the fulfillment of a promise. It can be very disheartening. What do you do? How do you move on? How can there be trust between these generations? How can faith be instilled between these generations? How can I expect God to be true in every man a liar when I don't see what God had said would be in the distance? When I have to trust what the older generation says and not what I see. When I have to trust what has been promised from aforetime and not what I'm actually living in. When it's not a do as I say, not as I do generation anymore. When I have more questions than I have answers, tell me how am I to trust when the sky is still empty? 
Now, as you're thinking about this and you're trying to put together this message, I I really don't understand even where I'm about to go right now. And I'm just following after the Holy Ghost. If I had a whole bunch of notes, I could say one thing right after the other. But to get to where I'm supposed to go, I have to back the service up, the, the Scripture up to the very beginning. When three years beforehand, a man by the name of Elijah just comes out of obscurity. No, Nobody knows anything about this man. Nobody knows his teaching. Nobody knows his upbringing. Nobody knows about his mentors. Nobody knows about his anointing. He was just a stranger stepping up in the face of the ungodliness of the nation and saying, it's not going to rain. Because of your waywardness, because of your ungodliness, your inability to stay committed to the Lord, there will be no rain nor dew on this earth for three years. He said, nevertheless, at at my word, he he said, this isn't the word of God coming out. He said, this is me declaring judgment. This is me pronouncing that God's unpleasant attitude towards you is going to cause things to be shut up. And everybody began to question, what kind of authority did this man have? Where did he come from? Who taught him? Who's his pastor? Where, what, what even gives him the right? I've never seen him in Because of the Times before. I've never heard him at General Conference before. He's never preached winter fire before. Who is this man? What gives him the right to declare himself a man of God in the first place? But when a week becomes three months, and three months becomes nine months, and nine months becomes a year, and the heavens have been a cloudless sky day after day, and it has not wielded precipitation upon the earth, and it has not created dew in the morning, and then the fields begin to die, and the rivers begin to run dry, and the streams become to stop running, and the wells are empty, and the cisterns are empty and cracking, and the ground is cracking, the uh, the cattle's dying, and the fruit has withered and the grass has withered and the flower has withered then they began to realize this man was for real and rather than have hope and trust in the word of God and doing the things that they should do to make their hearts right they began to get angry at the church they they began to get angry at the preacher they began to get angry at the prophet they thinking that they're the only ones suffering from this injustice but truly and understand this that the drought affects everybody Because the moment that Elijah prophesies to Ahab and he says, this is going to happen, the word of the Lord comes immediately to Elijah and he said, and go and hide yourself in Sherith and there I will take care of you. You know the story there. So Elijah goes to Sherith. He sits by this water brook and the Bible said that ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and uh, meat in the evening, and he drank of the brook. But the Bible says that even the water brook where he was eventually went dry. You see, it didn't just affect one person. It didn't just affect a few people. It, it affected everybody. The inability of generations not being able to give their heart to God has an ability to affect an entire church. When the young people are no longer worshiping and the saints are no longer worshiping and there's no revival, there's no atmosphere, everybody begins to die of a dry state of being. 
The preacher has a hard time preacher uh, preaching and, and the ministers have a hard time ministering because everything seems to be dead in the service. The drought affects everybody when people aren't doing what they should do and, and giving their hearts and giving their time and of giving of their faith and giving of their hope. When, when everybody's begin to check out on God because they just don't understand the meaning behind the message. And surely there's a reason why we've got to obey by certain principles. Not that it's just not what you shouldn't do, but it's saving you from what you shouldn't do. It's not about where you shouldn't go. It's about what's going to get you if you go to those places that you shouldn't go. Those people that are going to affect you and put their hands around your life and affect your spirit and cause you. It's not about there being a fence. It's what's that fence keeping you from? What it's keeping from getting a hold of you? Sometimes uh, a fence is not there for uh, the world's protection. It's there for your protection. But you don't understand these things because you check out on the preacher. You check out on God. And Elijah's having to suffer from the effects of the aftermath of the word that he preached. So the Lord tells him to go to Zarephath, which belonged to Zidon. And there he has commanded a widow woman to sustain him. He gets up. He leaves the place that God told him to go. And he goes to the next place that God tells him to go. And you would think that he would walk from a bad situation to a better situation. But he walks from one bad situation to an even worse situation. Because now he walks into a place where God has already spoken to the woman. He said, there I have commanded a widow woman to sustain you. He goes to a place where God has already sent his word. And the woman's gathering up a few sticks, getting ready to eat the last bit of meal that she has and die. He's walking into a place where faith is already lost. He's walking into a place where hopelessness has already begun to set in. And she's already beginning to give up on the word that God has already sent her. Maybe when God spoke to her, she had a storehouse full. But now because of the drought, it's empty. If God would have sent the man three years ago, I would have been ready. And I'd have had more than enough to sustain him. More than enough to help him. Oh, if the word would have come to pass eight years ago when I was ready and things were prime. But now that the storm and the drought and the hurt has begun to deplete my storage. And I've got nothing to give and I've got nothing to offer. And now finally the man of God steps in her life. And she's got nothing but a handful of meal for her and her son to eat. And they're going to die. So now it's led up to her. Do you continue to trust the word that God spoke to you aforetime? Or do you hang on to what little bit you have left? And you take what you have left and you let it end with what you have left. And you and your son miss out on what God could do. Because you have waited and waited and waited and waited. And what you wanted did not come. What you've been praying for did not come. What you asked God for did not come. What you needed God to work out did not happen. And now that you're down to nothing and everything is dead and everything is broken. You wonder how you're going to get through this. And so rather than just obey what God had initially said... Do you take what little bit you have left and die? Or do you obey the word that God actually said and have trust in the Lord? The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. I know it doesn't seem like something you want to do, but if you trust in Him without your own understanding and acknowledge Him, He will direct your path. 
Sometimes I, I, I want to tell some of our older saints and some of our younger saints, sometimes you just got to get over yourself. It's not always about what pleases you, what pleases you, what you want. Church does not revolve around you. And this world will not revolve around you. And just as much as you think you get steamrolled in church, this world will chew you up and spit you out. Satan desires to have you that it may steal, kill, and destroy. The thing is, is she had to believe the word. Because before the man ever showed up, God said, somebody's coming. And now the promise was actually standing in front of her. And so she obeys the word of the Lord and she gives him the, 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 the meal and she bakes him the cake and he eats and her, her meal never runs short. More tragedies happen after that. Because let me just tell you something about life. Life, life, life is life. Life stinks sometimes. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all have it unfair. I don't want to go into some of that. Some people might just get mad at me. Talk about privileged generations and who's privileged because of what skin color they are. Let me tell you, life stinks for everybody. We all go through hurt. We all go through pain. We all get discarded. We all get pushed down. We all get kicked down. This world is hateful and evil and men. Men will fail you. But God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he should repent. He is faithful. Never ending. He never turns. So in him is no variableness. Neither shadow of turning. He doesn't walk away. He does not forsake. He said, I am with you even until the end of the earth. He is an ever present help in the time of trouble. Just sometimes you may not find him where you think you should find him. Because maybe you're looking in the wrong places. Anyway, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm laying a lot of foundation for about a five-minute message. And so, there's a tragedy that strikes the widow woman. Her child dies. The man of God has to prove himself being a man of God. I could go into another message about that, but I'm not going to go with that. So, finally, it comes to pass. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and he said, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. See, in the, all of the, the pain and all of the depravity of man, God was tired of the death. God was tired of the dryness. God was tired of the despair. God was tired of his people losing out. He said, I, I'm, I'm tired of it. I want healing. I want restoration. I want revival. I want salvation. And so when he tells Elijah to go show himself to Ahab, he really didn't want to go do it. But nevertheless, he was going to follow the word of God. It's been three years and the sky has been cloudless. But God said, you know what? It's getting ready to rain. And so he goes to Ahab. And the first thing out of Ahab's mouth is, are you the one that troubled Israel? I told you everybody wants to blame the preacher. Everybody wants to blame the church. But don't you know, over 300 years before, and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night when he had cre- when he had finished the making of the house of the Lord. The Bible said, and the word and the Lord came to Solomon by night, saying, for I have chosen this house as a house to myself, as a house of sacrifice, that if I shut up heaven. Before Elijah ever walked on the scene, the Lord had already told a king, he said, look, if I ever have to shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I said locusts to devour the land or pestilence among my people, if my people 
which are called by my name would humble themselves, uh, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear. You see, they had a way out of the famine a long time ago. They had a way out of the unclothed sky a long time ago. But because nobody was willing to pray, because nobody was willing to worship, because nobody was willing to turn their hearts, because nobody, it didn't matter if it wasn't the older generation, it wasn't the younger generation. There was no one seeking the face of God. No one was saying, I'm sorry. No one was saying, God, what can I do to change this? God, what can we do to fix this problem. What does it take for me to have revival? What does it take for me to have salvation? What does it take for me to have hope again? What can I do that my children be saved? What can I do that my parents come back to you? Don't blame the preacher for what you're not doing. You can't blame the preacher if you're not praying. You can't blame the preacher if you're not giving your heart. You cannot blame the church if you're not trusting in God and you're only entrusting in what you see. You can't get mad at the ministry sometimes. Maybe you've got to start praying and asking God, what did He mean so that I can understand? You can't just say it's a generational gap. That's not even in the Bible. Sometimes you have got to understand that there is more than a connection with God than just your relationship with your pastor. Sometimes it's got to get personal. Oh, can I preach for a little bit? John chapter 20, when Mary goes to the grave and it's the first day of the week and it's yet dark and she sees that the grave is empty, the first person that she goes to is Peter and John. And she says, they've taken away the Lord and I don't know where they've laid Him. But when they go with her and they see that the grave is empty and they decide to go back home and the Lord appears to her and she's supposing Him to give the gardener. She said, Master, tell me where they have taken my Lord. Sometimes it's got to become personal. Your transition and your relationship with God, even though she goes to Peter and she goes to John, because they knew everything concerning Jesus more than she did. But when it came time where they decided to go home, she stayed where she knew Jesus was supposed to be, and she made it personal. You cannot live your relationship with God vicariously through other people and then get mad when you don't feel like you're being connected to. And get mad when you don't feel like you're being ministered to. When was the last time you got down on your knees and you truly sought God? Because He said, when you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. Let this young preacher preach to you for just a second. They got mad at Elijah. Elijah said, I'm not the one that's done this. You're the one that turned your heart from God. You're the one that had a way out the whole time. But you refused to repent. You refused to change. You refused to look at the Word and declare that, you know what, there's some things not lining up in my life with what your Word says. And I know that it doesn't seem right to everybody else. And I know it's contrary to culture. But forget culture. This is not about what the world thinks. This is about what God thinks. You're more concerned about fitting in with what everybody else is doing. But broad is the path that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go. He said, but narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there be. You're going to get lost if you follow in the crowd. I don't care what Hollywood says is right. I don't care. You know what? They don't speak for me, and they don't speak for God either. 
Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I don't need to get in that. That's pastor's that's pastor's stance right there. I can preach against right and wrong, but you know what? There's just some things that I don't, I don't care if it's publicly acceptable. That don't mean it's biblically acceptable. Anyways, so he said, look, you got a problem on your hand. You've turned your heart from God. He said, but nevertheless, God wants to bring revival. God wants to bring healing to the land. He said, but you've got too many people that are stuck between two opinions. They don't know whether they need to serve God. They don't know whether they need to serve Baal. But how long are you going to be halted between the two opinions? Either God is God and we serve him or Baal be God and you serve him. But nevertheless, something's got to be done. I got to preach two years ago at my uh, three years ago now at my district conference. Well, two years ago, two, two years in a row. And one year I was preaching how Elijah was sent to bring rain. He wasn't sent to bring fire. But sometimes there has to be a supernatural outpouring and a spiritual revival before there can be a natural revival. Because what is the point of God trying to heal the natural if the spiritual part of you is not even healed? Because it is just as easy for you to turn your heart away from God. All you want to do is have served God because he is able to do things that you cannot do. But what happened to the love and the commitment? You see, you want salvation without surrender. Salvation without cinder, surrender. And you want blessings without brokenness too. But uh, so Elijah says, I tell you what, you call on your God and I'll call on my God. I'll call on the name of the Lord. And so from the morning time until the afternoon time, the prophets of Baal, they began to dance and sing and shout. And they did it the way the world likes to do it. You know, they, you know, they moonwalked across the platform. They pop locked and dropped it. They did everything that they knew that they could do. They whipped and they nade all over that place. And there was no answer from heaven. I, I, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this um, as, as humbly as I can. You cannot worship your way out of hell. And you most certainly cannot worship your way into heaven. So in the afternoon time, Elijah begins to mock them. He begins to taunt them. Why don't you just step it up a little game and you know, step up your game a little bit. And just as, as he would do, the world always tries to do it. If they can't get you one way, they'll get you another. Same trick, new name. So they begin to cut themselves. And you have to understand, it hasn't rained in three years. It's a cloudless sky. The sun is beating down. It is hot. It is putrid. It is nasty outside. Blood is everywhere. And it just stinks. And they're out there cutting themselves. And they're still doing their thing. But no fire from heaven. Then they begin to prophesy one to another. They begin to speak things that were not so. But no fire came from heaven. So when the time of evening sacrifices set in, Elijah steps up and he says, you know what? It's time. You know, you just need to back off and you need to let me. It's time because one is starting to get dark. We need fire because one, we need light and we need warmth. And uh, we need a demonstration. The first thing that he did is he repaired the altar of the Lord that went down. He drew the people to himself and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Let me tell you something, church, young people, older people, if you need an answer from God, build an altar. If you need healing in your body, build an altar. You need deliverance for your soul, build an altar. You need God to do the impossible, build an altar. You need salvation, 
Build an altar. You need a word. Build an altar. You need joy. Build an altar. You need peace. Build an altar. You need the heavens to open in your life. Build an altar because you will not get an answer without a place that is an altar built. And it was built where there had already been an altar built. It had just been desecrated, forgotten, abandoned. Well, that's just the way they used to have church. No, that was the way church was ordained to have. You see, that altar had seen the miraculous before. And if it was good for them, it's still good today. If God could answer from heaven, then He can answer in this place now. There are just some things you cannot Change. If you want to see God move, build an altar. If you want God to move in your marriage, build an altar. If you want God to forgive sin in your life, build an altar. You cannot take the altar out of salvation. For the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But He now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's why he said unto them on the day of Pentecost, I repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he need an altar. The message hadn't changed. Am I losing some of you? I've only been 23 minutes. I've still got a little bit to preach. Is that all right? I promise I'm not going to bore you halfway to death. So he repairs the altar of the Lord that was torn down. He cut the sacrifice in pieces. He put it on the altar. He drug a trench around the altar that was a measure of about two measures of seed. However big that was, I don't know. Don't ask. I just know it's just big enough for two measures of seed because that's how big that is. That's what that says right there. And so he says, I need four barrels of water. And they looked at him like he was just nuts. It hadn't rained in three years and you want four barrels of water? The river's not even flowing. You want four barrels of water. The wells are empty and you want four barrels of water. He said, no, actually, I want 12. They look, you, sometimes you look at preachers like he just lost his ever-loving mind when he asked you to step out on faith. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice until something is sacrificed. I'll say it again because pastor requested it. A sacrifice... Is not a sacrifice until something is sacrificed. Until it hurts you. Until it's something that you can't live without. Something that you've been hanging on to. It ain't a sacrifice. If you're wondering how you're going to get through the next week, the next year, the next month without it, it ain't a sacrifice. If you can walk away and leave it there and then not bother you, it's not a sacrifice. Some of us, we just want to give things that we are freely able to live without. But God said, that's not a sacrifice. For the sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit. And a broken and a contrite heart. He said He would not despise. See, we want to give things that we, oh, I I can live without that. That's not a sacrifice. That's an offering. He wants something that's going to hurt you when you give it because you're afraid that you're going to lose your, your pride's going to be laid down. Your self-esteem's going to be laid down. Your worry's going to be laid down. All those things you've been bearing on your shoulders for years are going to be laid down. And God said, that's something I can work with. And then all it was is a simple prayer. And Elijah began to pray and fire came from heaven. That's how easy it is to move God. For the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
You know, I, I was reading a book the other day and I got it with me and I, I'm still not finished with it. But it's, it, it, it said in 2009, Flight, 2009, Life magazine published an article saying 10, 10 ideas that are revolutionizing the world. And one of them was a Christian philosophy. It was moved by the fifth, five movements of the Calvinist movement. And it said this, that prayer, because of the depravity of man and the state of living, has no ability to move God whatsoever. Therefore, anything that happens is just the will of God. Therefore, if it is, it should be and should always be that. Therefore, rendering prayer ineffective and of no consequence. That's a Christian philosophy of prayer in this world today. That prayer has no point. Let me tell you something. Prayer will move God. He said, if you had faith like of a mustard seed, you would speak to this mountain. It would be removed and it would get up and walk into the sea. Prayer has the ability to accomplish things that are impossible. Prayer is a spiritual communication between you and God. Prayer is a powerful thing. Prayer is a mighty thing. God moves upon prayer. God ministers upon prayer. God speaks to us upon prayer. You want to talk to God? You just open in your mouth and you just begin to pray. Not even done. Give me a second. And so he prays fire comes down from heaven. And then. Okay. So they take care of the prophets of Baal. And that, that's just another story in itself. And I'm trying to move along because it's 1150. And so what happens is, is now he has the young man with him. You have a tale of two generations. One who is called to follow without yet understanding completely. But knowing in his heart, one thing has already been said. The Lord has told this man, it's going to rain. You have to have trust in the generation before you that they do understand a little bit about what's best. You have to understand that they understand the times a little bit more than you think. They may not get down with your music. And they may not get down with your dress. But even in their day, their parents didn't like the way that they dressed. And didn't like the music that they listened to. They understand where you come from a little bit more than you think. And so it is not left upon the generation before you to have all of the things that you think you should understand. But you should have faith that they know what is about to happen. They have faith in knowing what should be done. They don't have to like everything that you do. And you don't have to like everything that they do. But understand, they know a little bit about the predicament That you're in. And so when Elijah tells the young man to go up and look towards the sea, the young man doesn't have much understanding except this. God has told this man that it's going to rain. And he has just seen this man call fire down from heaven. Faith and expectancy were on the brink. There was hope. On the horizon. But when he begins to step up to the mountain edge. And look into the distance. He sees. Nothing. 
And therefore, he sees the same struggle that he's been living in in three years. He sees the same disconnection between the present and the miraculous that's been longing on the land for three years. And he has to deal with the thought of losing hope in the word that God had sent. So many times you've come as young people to church and you've needed answers for yourself. You needed answers for your own faith. You've had questions why. You've had questions if. You've even come with bitter spirits because you didn't understand certain things or principles. You just thought it was basically about one thing. But you forgot the whole other side of the story. You didn't get what you were looking for. You didn't hear the word that you needed. You didn't feel the presence of God like you felt like you should feel at church. And you didn't feel acceptance like you feel that you should feel at church. You didn't feel like you were ministered to. You didn't feel like you really got anything out of it. And you've been staring at the same hopeless sky that you've been staring at since you've been coming, since you were a young person. And you wonder really if God is real. You wonder if He really has the power to save. If the miraculous is still accessible. If God is still true. If God is still able. If God is still God. So you take your questions to the man that told you to go and look. You take your questions to the man that told you to walk before him with only a hope in his own spirit and a word in his heart. Elijah did not see what was to come in the physical, but he saw it in his mind because it was Paul. It was Peter. And it was Joel that said that your old men would dream dreams, but your young men would see. Because what is to happen is going to take a physical manifestation. And the one generation might not see it the way that it is. They have a vision of it in their mind. But the next generation will see it as it should be. And so he says, go again seven times. Well, I don't want to go seven times. I don't want to do it that way. That's not what I want. Let me tell you something. Nothing comes instantly. Our churches don't operate like McDonald's. And it's most certainly not Burger King. It's not have it your way. There is a principle. And there is a guideline. And there has been words spoken from generation to generation. It does not revolve around you. It does not revolve around your wants. It does not revolve around your ideologies. You cannot change the scripture and you cannot change the gospel. Musicians, if you want to come. 32 minutes. Man, I really blew through that. So can I preach a little bit? So with weariness in his heart, because initial faith was let down because the man of God told him to go and look. And with all expectancy, he was expecting to see something. How many times have you come and the word was preached directly to you and you stood out and you were ready to receive, but you got nothing. 
You've been hearing the same prophecy in your life for the past three years, past six years, the past eight months, and your family's still broken. The depression's still there. That thought of homosexuality is still there. And that word has been spoken. That word of release has been given. But no, you keep stepping out, looking out, and you keep getting nothing. Walk by faith and not by sight. He just says, keep going. So one time after another, he keeps walking to that mountaintop, looking at into that sea, out in, into that, that great distance, and he still sees the same cloudless sky, the same stinking situation that he has been living in for three years. Hopelessness, faithlessness, depression, brokenness and pain and addiction and doubt. Question after question without answers. And he has to face it six more times. Six times he walks. Six times he looks. Be not weary in well-doing, he says, for in due season you will reap if you... The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and the Lord delights in His way. And though he should fall, he should not be utterly condemned, but the Lord would uphold. For we know that all things work together for... For the work that the Lord has promised. Six times that word come back unfulfilled. Six times that promise was not there. Six times that same empty sky was there. Six times those answers were not there. Six times love was not there. Six times revival was not there. Six times healing was not there. Six times deliverance was not there. Six times you had to walk back down. And that same addiction was in your life. That same problem was in your home. That same pain was in your marriage. And you had to face it over and over and over again. But that seventh time. That seventh time, when you were just tired of walking, when you're just on the brink of just saying, you know what, I'm done with it, because I haven't seen it yet, and I've been living a lie. I've been putting that face on, I've been putting my Sunday best on, and I've been going, but I don't believe anymore. There's no hope there. They don't understand me. I was born this way. What can I say? What can I say? They, they can't answer my questions. And I go home and I'm still dealing with it. A little cloud. It didn't look like much. It was just a simple word from a simple-minded preacher from Arkansas 
who don't know what in the world he's doing in New Jersey sometimes. But it was so straight and it was so direct. It didn't seem like much. It wasn't after seven years, seven years or seven times or six months or three years. You would think that the sky would be filled from the as far as the east is from the west with thunderclouds. No, it was just a little cloud. It didn't have the substance that you thought it should have, but that little cloud would be. That little cloud would contain the substance that would heal three years of brokenness. That little cloud was the provision that was going to get ready to make those rivers flow. That little cloud was going to cause the streams and the babbling brooks to babble. That little cloud was going to fill those wells again. That little cloud was going to cause the grass to live and the trees to grow and the the fruit to thrive. That that little cloud was going to cause the livestock to be nourished. That little cloud was going to bring healing to the home and healing to the spirit. That little cloud, it didn't look like much, but it was getting ready to bring a blessing that it could not contain. Because before the man even climbed up and he told him to go look and see. He told the king, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. What that little cloud had to pour out was something that you could not even contain out of yourself. He said, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. He said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. But Jesus said, it will be like a river flowing out of their bellies. There is going to be something alive and overflowing. But in the last days He said the latter rain will be greater than the former. Let me tell you, young person, you just keep trusting in what the Word says because what is getting ready to happen I know you've only heard about it because they've only dreamed about it. But you're getting ready to see it because he said greater things than these shall you do. The best is yet to come. The greatest miracles, the greatest... I know it doesn't look like what you want it to look like. And it may not come in the way that you expected. But the Word is getting ready to show forth. And God is getting ready to unlock the floodgates of heaven. And it's getting ready to rain. I know you haven't seen it. I know you haven't got exactly out of life what you've been wanting. But God's getting ready to do a work that even you couldn't even imagine. God's getting ready to save some of your parents. God's getting ready to move in some marriages. God's getting ready to move in your heart. He's getting ready to move in some thinking. He's getting ready to change some mindsets. He's getting ready to release you from depression. He's getting ready to take away addictions and problems. He's going to give you the right friends and take you away from the wrong people. He's going to give you new names, new futures, new callings, new desires. There's getting to be fresh wind and fresh fire. Some dead things are going to come back to... You've been waiting for God to answer. God's getting ready to answer. You've been waiting for God to prove Himself. He's getting ready to show. But it takes a calling to move you first. He said, seek and you will find. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and it will be opened. He said, everything that I get ready to do is because you initiate it. 
He said, I'm standing at the door and I knock, but if any man will, let him come and open and I will come in. He said, look, I've got the opportunity. You just you got to move. I'm almost done. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. As we stand, I'm going to tell you, as we stand all over the house today, what he saw had a twofold meaning. He said it was like a man's hand. The first, it was in its form, as if God himself was reaching from the heavens into the sea and getting ready to pour out the provision his own self. The work is not going to come through the works of man. The work is going to come because God's ability. There is none that saves but God. Can I get an amen? God's not leaving it to man to do what God has the power to do. You trust in God. You don't trust in yourself. You trust in God. You don't trust in everybody else. Because God is the one that's going to save you. God is the one that's going to help you. God is the one that's going to deliver. So it is the manifold hand of God coming from heaven, reaching into the sea, getting ready to pour out the flood that is to come. But it was also in its size. And the only way that the young man had to measure what was coming was he had to get a hands up approach to what he could see. See, we want to come to church with our hands out. We want to come to church and give me pastor. Give me preacher. Help my unbelief. Tell me what I need to do rather than lift up your hands and measure what is out there and measuring it according to what you can measure it with. It don't look like much. It is like a man's hand, but it's getting ready to come. It's something I haven't seen in a long time. It's getting ready to rain. So why don't somebody lift up their hands right now? Why don't you close your eyes and you begin to see that help you've been praying for, it's coming. That healing you've been praying for, it's coming. That revival in your life that you've been wanting, it's coming. Oh, it don't look like much right now. It's just the size of a hand. It don't look like much, but when it gets here, When it gets here. Young people, don't worry. Young person, don't worry. God has the power. God has the ability. But do you have the faith and the trust? Come on, that's it. Why don't you begin to plead the blood over that promise? Why don't you begin to worship it according to that promise? If you need the Lord to move in your life today, why don't you build an altar? If you need the heavens to open, if you need the rain to fall, why don't you build an altar? 
As these young people began to sing, these altars are open. Why don't you find a place to, to consecrate? Why don't you get personal with God for a moment? Why don't you give Him some things that you haven't given to Him in a long time? Okay, God. Okay, God. I'm here again. On my knees. Come on, some of you have done for a long time without the rain. Get ready for a flood in your heart today. Come on, somebody put up those hands. Come on, see it happening. Speak it. Speak it. 